The cross is the unique event in all of history in space and time. For in it, a God became man, and that God-man both died and raised from the dead. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Our reading is from John 14, verses 1 to 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many homes. If it weren't like that, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. I want to commit a crime today. Why not? No, let me commit a crime right here in your presence. I, I'm, I'm feeling like a criminal. I, I come from a history of criminals. My father was a criminal. His father was a criminal. It's really, it works well in my family. Um, I, it suits me well. What's the crime that I want to commit in this moment? It is the great crime you can commit in this city. In fact, San Francisco, would, this would be capital, deserve capital punishment, I think. And now I'm going to make a claim, and some of you are guests, and I don't know where you're coming from. And so you're going to have to walk with me here for a moment um, as, I, as we talk about this. This is a classic text, it's called. It's probably one of the most famous texts in the New Testament, if all not all the scripture. And that is John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, as he's talking to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what I'm going to make a claim about is that the Scriptures claim that the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. So as a preacher, I, I, you know, like, I don't get a choice about this. I have to preach to you. I must speak this, and I must speak it earnestly, even if it, even if it confronts the spirit of our age, which the spirit of our age is, no, 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 Chris. No, 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 no. Can't we have Jesus and this? Can't we have Jesus and something else? Isn't there an accommodation? Isn't there a place for us to, as we are preached about on the streets of San Francisco, every time you pull up to the bumper? Mike, can't you coexist? Can't you, can't we all just get along? But I will tell you that coexist bumper sticker is much more pernicious than merely a simple suggestion that you and I should be more peaceable about our disagreements. Oh no, it's far worse than that, I think. It's far, a far greater 
Because what that is claiming is exclusive. You can't claim exclusivity. You're not allowed. And once you start doing that, you are on the outs. You have committed the great crime of this generation. You have said, there's one way and no other way. And here I am, I'm thinking about this. I'm trying to think, well, you know, if I could preach this, the faithful will go, yay. And then the, uh, and then the, and the pagans will go, boo. And then, but then I'm thinking, I'm worried about the people in the middle who, who get the truth, but then don't know how to, don't find it very delightful. <laughs> or maybe you can kind of like, Chris, I've heard this before, and it's something I, I am ready to hear, but then, but I, I don't feel comfortable with it. Or if I do talk about the exclusivity of Christ, I talk about it this. Or if I talk about it, if it comes up at school, if it comes up at work, if it comes up in private conversation at the coffee shop, I start talking like this. And my tone changes, some people can't hear me. Yeah, Jesus is the only way. Do you do that? <laughs> I think we all do that. We all have a, we've all been pushed into some sort of corner by our culture, which has told us you, it's a crime for you to claim an exclusive access to truth, an exclusive access to a way to heaven, an exclusive way to life. Is it? And there it is, bald and naked and rough and mighty. Even spoken in Greek with the sacred name of God ensconced and saying that everything that eternity of God, the eternity of God is turned into a verb. Ugh. I don't even understand what that means or what it must imply. So I guess what I want us to do is I'm hoping that we, we will fall under the same condemnation from Crestus to Christolatry. Now, Crestus. Crestus is the earliest reference to Jesus outside of the New Testament. Suetonius, a famous, uh, a famous uh, historian of the times, he lived about AD 69 to AD 120 or so, wrote about the time of Nero. And during the time of Nero, he described Christians. And at one point he describes, they, wor they worship Crestus. They worship Crestus as a god. <laughs> you know what I love about this? And the exclusivity is what angered the Roman, the, Ro the, Roman, the Roman authorities. You know what I love about this? They got the name wrong, but they didn't get the point wrong, did they? They got the name wrong. They couldn't even get the name right. They weren't even concerned enough to know who this person was, but they got one thing right. These people claimed they had the one God. And it was offensive to Rome. Fast forward 20 centuries. <laughs> And a feminist writing in the 80s observed that there were a number of Christians today that were guilty of a crime called Christolatry. And this is not the worship of Chris. Uh, you could be forgiven of that. I'd forgive you at least. No, I'm kidding. That would be Christolatry. This is Christolatry. And what she was claiming was that the worship of a man was a denial of her rights as a woman. And a worship of a man was ultimately a worship of patriarchy. And the worship of a man ultimately was nothing other than a weird form. She was accusing me and my feet, my face before Jesus, the great I am of idolatry by worshiping him so much. Guilty. Guilty. May I forever be guilty of this. 
But you see her rejection of the Christologer and Suetonius' criticism of those early, early worshipers of Christ, our brothers and sisters, was what? It's a rejection of any exclusive claim. You don't get to make those. Now, coexist. The bumper sticker. Each letter represents a different faith tradition. Now, why do I get all angry about this? Why do I get all frustrated? I mean, after all, the people who have it on their car always seem like nice people, don't they? They always seem like friendly hippie types, don't they? I mean, they're probably baked. They don't care. Why can't we just coexist? I mean, it sounds like a generous offer for peace. It's a bid for peace, isn't it? Isn't it a bid for us to all just live together in harmony and peace? And I say, no, it's not really that. It's not really that because it sets Jesus as at peace with Buddha, at peace with Confucius, at peace with the Tao, at peace with Lao Tzu, and at peace with Allah. And he will, he will, he will not, he will not sit on the list. He can't. He can't. But I want want you to walk with me here. The reason I take, I don't want you to, you know, get out and rip it off or deface it on somebody's, well, you can do that if you want, but... Is it more arrogant if you don't realize how arrogant it is? I wonder. Because what does coexist wind up saying? What is the person who writes that saying? What is the person who tells you coexist saying? I am greater than God. I am greater than Buddha. I am greater than Allah. You all get along. You see, the only way you can position yourself to comment on all religions and tell them how to act is to be what? Greater than all religions. Who cares what those different religions might think or say or whether they're pleased to be on the list? It doesn't matter to this person because whether those religions even acknowledge their place in the grand pantheon of religious expression, the person with that bumper sticker says, I know where they belong. And he disrespects the Buddha as far as I'm concerned, as well as Christ, by literally rolling them into some modern Oh, smorgasbord, very American, right? The religious smorgasbord, so you can pick and choose and live and live out of whatever you want. You see, it's the ultimate arrogance. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the bother except through me. The exclusionary claim it is parochial, isn't it? Ethnocentric and combative. That's what the people would say. That's what Jesus is being here. But you hear my, do you hear what my, you hear the joke, don't you? The, this is called a self-referential inconsistency. It's an internal illogic at the heart of all systems. It's at heart of all systems, isn't it? And what is it? You cannot be exclusive, they say. We've excluded that. You get it? <laughs> you can't be exclusive. We've excluded that. Oh, you sp- it makes you want to bang your head against the wall, doesn't it? But they would even go further and they would say, even though this seems self-referentially inconsistent, we have a right to do it because we were oppressed or some such claim. Do not believe them. Do not believe that. Being oppressed and being marginalized and being ostracized and being downtrodden does not give you a moral superiority. If it did, I would be king of the world. All right, so that doesn't work, right? The exclusionary claim doesn't work. It doesn't work on its own weight. Why doesn't it work? 
because it, den- it, doesn't, it denies the core claim of Christianity and, G- and God himself. What's the first command? This is rooted not in merely some way you get to heaven, but in the very nature and being of the eternal I am from eternity. What does he say? What does he say? You will have no other gods before me. Now, what I want to do is I want to dial this in a little bit because you can hear like, okay, kind of, but we don't hear it in the Hebrew. The Hebrew, the Hebrew expression here, the prepositional phrase is not, it's not penetrating your heart right now. I know why, because you don't hear what it really says. This expression before me is this in Hebrew. In my face. Now, when you hear this, you start to get, get a sense of it. You start to realize that there is something personal as well as eternal. So exclusivity, as God claims it, is a nature of the structure of the material cosmos from matter and everything in between, as well as who he is in himself. It can never, he can never, ever not be exclusive. It's who he is. I am the Lord. There is no Other, there is no one like me, says the Lord. To whom will you compare me? You can't even get a reference point to me. I am not under your inspection. I am not for your evaluation. I am the Lord. Look, I don't know what you do. And I honestly, guys, this is the God we have to preach to this generation, isn't it? He does not, he does not compromise, take sides. He doesn't even enter the conversation. God does not enter the conversation. He says, I am the Lord. It's not just who he is, it's what he did. At the cross is the unique event in all history and space and time. However ancient the universe is, however broad its expanse from 100 billion light years to one end to the other, does not matter. The cross is the unique event in all of history and space and time. For in it, a God became man, and that God, man, both died and raised from the dead. And there is no so. Oh, there you go. Knew that was coming. Knew that was coming. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is not so a unique God presents the unique opportunity in the unique event of his unique son with a unique blood and a unique efficacious power for Frankie. That, that's what Christianity, that's what it claims. And it claims that it's not, it's not, like you, it's not like God took exclusivity. This is what I'm getting. It's not like that God took exclusivity and sh- sprinkled it on later. It's not like exclusivity got rolled into the dough later or somehow got added. No, it sits at the center of the universe. It sits there like this. Two plus two equals four. That's how it sits there. It is eternally true, eternally real. Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father except by him. So, did I, did I, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Did I uh, make my point? Did I, did I satisfactorily hone in? Did I equip myself? I'm serious, guys. I want to equip myself before my Savior that I have proclaimed the truth of this statement. Because it's actually not what this text is about. I think it's a corollary, an absolutely necessary corollary, but it's not what this... And let me walk into, let me start walking into the way these guys think about this so we can start. So did you notice, let's go back to the text itself. Uh, uh, 
Look at look at look at look at the look at the verses, especially down in verses seven and eight. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. No, if you know, whenever the Bible uses the word "know," and a person is the object, not a place or a thing, a person. Whenever the Bible uses the word know, and a person is the object of the knowing, it's talking about intimacy and relationship. Every time. That is what the knowledge of, the knowledge of God does not sit in an abstract place on a data sheet for us to go look at. It seems like that sometimes with our Bibles, right? Like you go look and read. I mean, it is true that way. It is true as objective, factual truth. But that is only the smallest part of its truth because its truth is a personal truth. The eternal God seeks relationship with Sarah and Chris and Doug and you and whoever you are. And... It's an exclusive for each one. It just be, oh, oh, this is, oh, he finally died, didn't he? Yeah, it's going to happen. All right. I'm on my own. We're flying blind. We're flying blind. There's no telling where this is going to go or how long now. Sorry. <laughs> if, if you're a guest, it, I'm always a little bit like that. But. How should we set this up? And I, and I want to. I, I know how to do this now. I think I know how to do it. So when Adele, what, when, what's, what's your, when's your anniversary? June 19th. What year are you all married? 2009. 2009. What a day. Was it, was it a beautiful day? Yeah. Where was it? In Edmonton, Canada. Friday afternoon, June 19th, 2009. Wow. They got hitched. Now, she just said, oh, dear, because I, I did warn her that she was going to be a sermon illustration. And when I war warn somebody, you know it's going to be bad. Because <laughs> usually I don't warn people. No, it's nothing like that. Now, Adele, at the moment when you made your commitment to, to Peter, there is a way you could have done it. It'd be weird. It'd be, it would have felt awkward, perhaps. But there is one way you could have done it. And let's imagine we were all there. You could have gotten up. And you could have at that moment... Just said, hold, hold a second, Peter. Hold a second, Peter. Cedric, I'm saying no to you because you're just too short. Sidwin, you're just not my kind. Dylan, you're too quiet. Ted, you're too old. Doug, you're too young. You know, right? She could do that, right? She could go around and identify how everybody else in the room was not the suitor. She, and she could have done that with the entire world, right? Uh, but that's not what she did. Now, follow me here. We could do that with this text. You could do that with this text. It's true. Adele did say no to me and every other man, right? And appropriately so. She did, in fact, do that. But that's not how she stated it. It's not how she imagined it. It's not how she had talked about her love. And it's not how we talk about our love. We don't, get, we don't need to get caught up in being exclusionary. Our God is exclusive. We don't have to worry about that. He is exclusive. He's exclusive in his attractions and his love and his chase. We are in love with him. You see... The reality was, there was no other man in the room for her but Peter. All other men fell away. 
because Peter was her love. And we know Peter, and we know he was worthy of that. You know, that, like we get it. Well, let me, let me introduce you to Jesus. For every other suitor, I can't remember what their names were anymore. Not when I look at my Savior. Not when I look on the face of the one I love and who loves me. Not when I, no, the suitors have all passed away. What were their names again? Who were the other religion? Who, who cares? You see, it doesn't matter. And what, you know what that truth, this is what kind of gets me. This is what, it, sure, Christianity is exclusionary to the core in a, both its person of God and his work. But do you hear it? It's not exclusionary in its attitude, is it? It's not. It's welcoming. It's not, and you kind of like, well, we're, it's not exclusionary in some sort of privilege. Well, I'm in, you're out. Hey, too bad for you. But this is what I want to explore because those words, hear them, hear them. I wish I had them up right now. Hear them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. They were being spoken to who? Guys are confused. Guys, you don't know what's going to happen next. Guys who are afraid of the future. Guys who are afraid of the bad crap they'd done and how Jesus knew about it. Guys who were, uh, didn't understand his basic teaching and had been with him for years and years and years. And he sit there talking, they go, huh? Huh? Right? And the, this is supposed to be a word of comfort, you see. This, these are supposed to be words that invite and tell the sons and daughters of the king, I love you. I am for you, right? I am here. And that, that verb, that, that wonderful God name, that's a verb, says he was ready to deliver that reality of being the way, the truth, and the life for you. <laughs> Praise him. <laughs> this is just, okay. Okay, so we realize now we're in love with, and, it, and that's really how you come to Jesus. You fall in love with him. That's what happens. And you fall in love with him. He's exclusive. You're ex it, it's the way it's supposed to be. It's what love is. It's what that true personal knowing is, right? It's intimacy. There's no other way I'd have it. Ah, uh, so, all right, let's ask ourselves, how's that a comfort to you and me along the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Now, look around you in your life. Look, think about the people you work with. What are they confronted with all the time? Which way? Which, which way? Which way? Which, I hear this, I hear that, I hear them, I hear her, I hear other people, I hear, I hear, I hear voices telling me I've got to self-improve, I hear Democrats telling me I've got to, we've got to improve this, I hear Republicans telling me we've got to conserve that. Which way? What I want you to hear here. How does the world live? In utter confusion, with every way equally valid. Do you? Now, so when Jesus tells you, I am the way, he's telling you, look how tender I've been with you. Look how tender I've been with you. I've given you a way to me in the blood of Jesus, my son. A free way, an open, free way. A highway, yeah! That's we, let's do that. It's a freeway. And we get that from because they used to charge for roads. That's why we call them freeways today. And there's a highway of grace in Jesus. Often it's a hard little door to find. But man, 
I want you to hear this. God has delicately and instructed you that he has given you a way. So what does this tell us? Come to Jesus again. If you don't know Christ, come to him today because he has offered knowing him direct access to God. You can in your heart right now say to him, be my God and in me and know me. Let me know you. It's all over. You got everything's going to change for you forever. You have known, now know, and have met God. And he has met with you. Praise him. But then... Um, he says, I am the way. And he's telling you, just think about your ways and make them my ways too, right? There's a new way for you to think. It's called the cross. And it's a new way for you to imagine the sacrifice in your own life and power to do it. It's a new way for you to live in hope. It's a new way through the, through the wilderness. And it's so even and easy because it's all forgiveness in Jesus, free of free and grace. You don't have to earn it. It's a way open. It's, it's a way. It's a beautiful door in the love of God. I am the truth. Well, what, what are the people around you confronted with every day? Fake news. Uh, you know, it's, it's so bewildering now that the highest level professionals, and I was listening to an interview, it was in, a, uh, what's that radio, uh, that podcast, something radio? Radio Lab, thank you, Radio Lab. And they were talking about how the highest level experts in telling a false photograph from a real one can only catch it seven out of 10 times. That's how good we're getting, guys. And we're getting to a point where literally you will not be able to trust your eyes. What do we do then? You won't be able to trust your ears or your eyes. What shall we do? Think about your friends. Think about the people you live with, the people you love who are that lost. Like there's no possibility of what you're going to anchor in. So what do you do? You choose a side. And so the Democrats choose a side and they don't hear any information from the other side because it's just all colored and what's our perspective. And then over here, Republicans do the same thing and they come from this side and they have all the, all the information is colored from this. What's going on there? You just take a side because it doesn't matter what's true. It doesn't matter what Trump said. It doesn't matter what those people did. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You just take a side because who knows what the truth is? No, I know him. His name is truth. And every syllable uttered from my Savior is true forever. You have a treasure, Michael, in the scriptures. Treasure it. You got, Jesus has delivered you a certainty about every syllable of the Bible. And do you, when you look around you, have compassion on the people around you. For they are harassed like sheep without a shepherd. What do you do when you don't know which way is up? What do you do when the current is flowing and falling? <gasps> what do you do? Finally, life. This is where scriptures want to speak to you in ways that you are, you're going to have a hard time understanding. Do you know that you work with dead people? You don't. <laughs> you go to school with dead people. You minister to dead people. You work with dead people. You work for dead people. Death and the stink of it, it clings to every living, beautiful person you've ever known. <sighs> Don't you feel for that? Don't you, aren't you alarmed? Aren't you, aren't you concerned that the very people that you break bread with and you hope the most for and the best for have no hope outside of Christ? You see, we as Christians don't realize in this beautiful, exclusive love affair Jesus has with us, 
how, how lonely and dark it is out there. How there's no hope. You know, there's no hope of hoping to be anything but a nice person in the world, Sharon. But Jesus came to give us new life. And it's so wonderful and weird. It's so woolly and wild. It's so free and open. It's eternal. It's a new principle of life in Jack and me. How can it be? It is because we worship this God. We have so much of a treasure. And Jesus even says, it's more than that. I'm not just going to give Cedric life. I'm going to make Cedric bubble, bubble, bubble with life. And have you ever gotten any of the bubbles from him? I have. He's overflowing with life now. And he becomes a river of life. And I get a little cup. And I can in there. I can drink some. And so Sharon, you do the same thing. Me, That's what Jesus does. We become, oh, it's wonderful. I, uh, I forgot what I was going to say for the last, I think I'm just about done here. Uh, I know, you know, I was, um, Christianity can be so easily reduced to or changed into a self-help process. It can. It works. It, there's a lot of good, good t- there's so, many good, so much goodness and truth in it, so, so much life, so much way, that even if you don't teach about Jesus, you get so much truth out. It, it, and people do this all the time. One of the most famous and successful people to do this in this generation is a man named Joel Osteen. Now, I don't often name other preachers. And I'll tell you, he is a stunningly good preacher, at least technically. I remember people telling me that he wasn't preaching a faithful witness to Jesus. And I, I went and listened to him because he has, what, 50-some thousand people going to his church. And people are tuning into him all day, all the time. Even Robin. Robin loves to listen to him. And I remember thinking this. This could be a great stepping stone to getting somebody talking about Jesus because he does talk about spiritual things in an age that doesn't understand spiritual truth. And so it does open a door and I'm going to praise God for that. I'm going to praise God for anybody who's ever come to faith in that church. In fact, Father, let him become a gospel minister that leads thousands to you. I don't care about that. I'm not interested in judging Joel. I want his success and joy in Jesus. I, I don't, that's not my point. But what he is a part of, what he emblemizes, what he is an instinct in us to accommodate, to make Christianity palatable, to make it not feel so exclusive and weird because that's so threatening and that's scary for us, right? But I, that's the wrong direction to go. That accommodation, that, that, that reduction, I want to give you an example of how that reduction happens and how it misses everything. It misses everything and robs the church. Here I am. I got this big, big thing, this exciting thing about the name of God being I am. You know? And that's what Yahweh means, I am. And Jesus uses it in John. And John puts it in his mouth. Jesus keeps saying, I am, in this great, grand, eternal sense. So I'm in the bookstore. I pray for Joel. I'm dead serious. Before the Lord, I pray for him. So he's on my list. And I see his book. It was in the bookstore. And it said, this is the title, The Power of I Am, in caps. I'm not acquainted with the man's ministry or preaching. I don't know what he, where he was. In his, I, don't, I don't know. But I picked, I immediately was like, 
And I, and I say this before the Lord, you can test me in glory. He'll, 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 he'll approve it. He'll, he'll take, I picked it up excited because I actually thought for a brief moment that Jesus had answered my prayers for him. I'm not even kidding. That's how naive I am. That's how, no, that's not naive. That's just believing, isn't it? Isn't that just believing the best for others? I felt pretty naive when I picked it up because I was like, I picked it up, the power of I am. And I remember thinking, that's Jesus' name. That's God's name. That's all of what we needed him. The power of I am. What's he got? Maybe he's got it. If he's got it, then thousands will hear it. Oh, I got so angry. I, didn't, I should have bought the book just so I could destroy it. Sometimes I buy things just so I can break them, especially stuff like that. It was the power of you personally saying, I am successful. That's what he was preaching. I am a winner. I'm a good person. I'm one of God's. There's some good I am's you could put in there, sure. I'm sitting there just being like, you see, you see, um, that's just an accommodate. That's just that's the that's that's an example in an evangelical sort of frame of the accommodation I'm talking about. Taking our God and his, and even our salvation by the great I am and reducing it to moral therapeutic deism. It'll make you better in the end. And not, oh, all I want to do is bring him glory. I want to introduce you to the power of the I am, <laughs> right? I want to introduce you with the power, the power of I am is you in him. <laughs> and it's you, you have him for you have his way. <laughs> You have him who is truth. You have his life. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Uh, that's, that's enough. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love you that you give us these truths. I don't know why you first loved me. I, I get confused by that. It doesn't make sense. Father, I, look, I don't, I, I don't, I would ask that you would just, <laughs> you would uh, lower your standards of exclusivity and just, just let, let so many more people in. I can pray that. I'm going to ask that you would be a savior to many in this city, that you would call many to eternal life. I can pray that because I want it for Alex. I want it for Ian. I want it for everybody I love. I want it for my family. I want it for my neighborhood. We want it for San Francisco. Yes, because you are exclusive. That's why we come to you. And But you in your weird exclusivity, give the kingdom away to knuckleheads like me. Sinners like us. We'll praise you for that kind of love. We pray over the world that has lost its way, that's confronted with fake news, and tries to live on the fumes of death. Have mercy, Father, on the people we care about and lift to your throne. But now, now, hmm, will you, will you speak to each heart here those whispers of just how tender your love is for us? How there is in that wonderfully, wonderfully exclusive way you love each of us. Because you'll give each of us our own name, it said. There's a wonder in your love that cherishes every child here in a completely unique way. It's all of you for all of them. Oh, I love that about you, Father. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for making the way in your blood, giving me life, speaking truth. 
Holy Spirit, take all these words today and all the places they go, all the, all the parts of them and seal them into our hearts and, and, and give us joy in you this week and new confidence and new love for others. And we praise you for your love for us in Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And the same way, he also took a, a cup of wine and he poured it, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and, and drink. This is the cup of the covenant, he said. Um, and here's where it gets exclusive. I'm gonna, we're going to get exclusive right here. Let me exclude those who must be excluded. If you're a good person, you are not worthy of the table. What? Yeah. Those are the people who get excluded. Who gets included? Sinners whose trust is in Jesus. <laughs> Sinners who say Jesus is the way. He has spoken the truth to me. And he has all life. You see? Yeah, it's exclusionary. Sure. It excludes in the weirdest ways possible. <laughs> the glory of God. It's all topsy-turvy and upside down in the kingdom, isn't it? So, now let's come and worship. Now, I, so I invite you, if you have faith in Christ as a sinner, and you believe in the Apostles' Creed, and it's as, as happening in space and time, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the God-man, then this is your table. He is your Savior. He is your way. He is the truth. He is life. Uh, then come on up here and get that. We're going to take and then take it back to your seats and, and we'll take it, eat it together uh, afterwards. Uh, but uh, if you're a good person, you heard what I said. Uh, I hate to disappoint you. If you're a skeptic and you just find that these claims are not sustainable or acceptable to you at this time, uh, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will get you. And I'm not worried about that. Just keep watching and waiting and attending and you will, I, I think you will find eternal life. And that's it. So will you stand, please? Let us proclaim together before one another and before the angels even the mystery of our faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Tell me, Christian, tell me, brothers and sisters, what do you believe? You believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead, even the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building. And we can't wait to see you. Ooh, the
sweet.